Welcome back to Tagist. That's the art of getting your shit together. Lindsay and Jenna here, and we have a very high energy interview. And it's actually going to be a two part series. This is part one with Jenny Schatzel. We've had her on the podcast before, and she is a powerhouse. She's amazing. We had her on, I want to say back in 2019, and she is all about changing the conversation. Like that's her platform. That's what she has her mission in the world. And anytime we have her on, I, there's no explaining it. When you listen to it, you're going to feel it. It's so fun having a conversation with her because it just flows. And she's got so many amazing takeaways just from, of course, what she's learned in her life, but really personal experience and a means of sharing that through language that we all resonate with. And I think it's just so much fun. So I'll read a little bit about Jenny. First, she is an author. She released her book called Breaking the Cycle just last year. It is available on Amazon. That will be available in the show notes. Grab your copy. We're going to talk more about her book in part two of this interview on how to do the work and how she really walks you through that in her book. So um, stay tuned for that. A little bit about Jenny before we get to the interview. As a wellness and lifestyle guide who helps people feel good about themselves, Jenny Schatzel doesn't change bodies, she changes lives. Her passion is empowering people to accept themselves, respect themselves, and love themselves in every aspect of their lives. Jenny has created a movement that challenges the way people see themselves. Her program is as much about health and wellness as it is about positivity, self-love, and letting go of the behaviors and negative thinking that stop us and limit our success. And, you know, she is unfiltered. She is straight to the point and she acknowledges that it's not just about loving your body all the time and, you know, accepting yourself every minute because that can be a challenge. And we talk about all of the bits of our body. We talk about sobriety. Um, we talk a little bit about motherhood and relationships. We talk about everything on here. So that's why it's in two parts. So we've got a lot of juicy content in these two interviews. Yeah. I just like she, her energy is infectious and she's just one of the most heartwarming and influential, just a light in this world people. Yeah. And don't, let me just say one more thing. We just kind of jump in. We were having a conversation and we started oh, yeah. talking <laughs> and we jumped right into recording. So there's not like a graceful intro and welcoming. We just, that's just how it is. We were just immersed. So we we're like, we need to start recording before we miss all this good stuff. Um, so here it is, Jenny. Welcome to the Art of Getting Your Shit Together podcast, where each week we help you identify the bullshit that's holding you back and discover the courage to take action to create a life you love and enjoy. Oh my God, that's amazing. Okay, well, we're so excited to see you again and talk to you again. This is so fun. I know we talked, I think the last time we talked was even before pandemic life. God, was right? that it long was. Yeah, Dang. it was. And you were, cause you were just writing your book. You were like, I'm oh, writing a book. And we're like, oh my God, well, we need to read that. So we read it, it and it. we're excited. We want to talk today about all the things. Um, we want to talk about sobriety, all the body stuff and people pleasing and self-worth and all the things. And we just figured who better than you. You're the one. Let's do this. I'm so excited. Lindsay, 
tell, tell Jenny a little bit about what you've got going on. So I embarking on sobriety. I don't even know what, how many days it's been. It's almost been five months, which has been incredible. And I just love hearing all the stories about, you know, how people have, when they identified the problem, overcoming that. I know you talk about toxic anchors in your book. And I know Brene Brown says this too, like kind of like that superpower you kind of feel for a minute, but with that, with you being an extreme, like you call yourself an extremist, right? We can go from one extreme to another. And it's kind of like, this is all I can think about. This is, you know, everything my life means right now. And then, you know, just trying to rework and find that balance. So it's not, it's not all about sobriety or it's not all about, you know, someone who's focusing on their body image. It's like finding, finding the balance. So it's not this polarity, you know, this black and white life it's, you know, integrative, so to say. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a long time coming. That's for sure. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's really hard. It's on it. Like exactly what you said is actually one reason why. And I say this, I don't want to like say this wrong, but so for instance, like AA didn't work for me, but I have a lot of friends that did work for, but for me, AA was, I was like, I need to figure out how to live my life normally without drinking And like AA for me, I was like, well, we're just sitting around like talking about drinking and then drinking coffee. And like, and that's all anybody talked about. Like I needed, I needed another way to like figure out how to live my life. And I say that and AA worked for a lot of my friends and people who need help. I actually take them to AA to make, to see if that's their route. But yeah, it's, it's a very difficult, everybody's got to find their way to help them. Like for me, it was therapy. Um, I was also at my rock bottom and ready for the change. So um, everybody's got to find their way. But yeah, realizing like, how can I live my normal life without this thing that I've always had is difficult. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And finding new coping mechanisms and ways to navigate the stress and the stress around thinking, not drinking and, and all those things. Let's just dive into that if you guys don't mind, you know, when did you start drinking and when did looking back, did you realize that it was becoming a problem? Uh, you know, I think I always knew it was a problem. My dad's an alcoholic. Um, I started drinking like, I think in probably like eighth grade, I kind of, I think we started experimenting, you know, having my first drinks or ninth grade going to my first parties. And, you know, I just really loved alcohol in the sense that it gave me freedom I felt like I was very insecure. Like I never thought I was the pretty girl or the popular girl and always trying to, you know, keep up with my friends. And for me, alcohol gave me that freedom. Like I just didn't care anymore. And I was, I was wild and loud and free and I didn't care what people thought when I was drinking and it was so fun. Oh my God. It makes me like thinking about it. Right. I'm like, Oh, it's just so fun. And as I was always the wild party girl, like in high school and in college, I always took it to the extreme. I pretty much always blacked out, but I was still like a weekend drinker. So it wasn't like I was drinking every day. And this is part of when people struggle with alcohol. I say this a lot, but we can always look at somebody who who's worse. Like you're like, at least I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking every day. So I don't have a problem, right? Like, Oh, all my friends drink on the weekends. And a lot of my friends black out, like, 
there was always these, there was always red flags, but always the way I could talk myself out of like, I don't have a problem. Everybody does this. Mm -hmm. And so I always knew there was a problem deep down because I always knew I took it to the extreme. And then there was always like so much guilt around it, right? Like, what did I say? What did I do? So much shame, but I was super fun and people love to hang out with me. So I also got away with a lot. I will say when it became a real problem was actually when I went into business with my business partner, he came to me and said, there's a lot of red flags here. Like your drinking is a little extreme. He said, before we go into business together, I need to know that this isn't a problem. So I want you to quit drinking for six months. And I did it. I quit drinking. We like signed a contract. I quit drinking for six months and the business took off. Mm -hmm. Physically, I was in literally the best shape of my life. I was like my lowest body fat percentage. I was running the fastest because I was actually so obsessed at that point too. Like I wasn't drinking. So I wasn't going out. I wasn't talking with like talking to my friends and I just completely immersed myself in like dieting and work. And that's all I did and working out. And so Physically, everybody was like, oh, my God, you look amazing. And then business was taking off after that six months, literally the day of the six months. Of course, what did I do? I drank. And I will say at that point, I really believe like my alcoholism really kicked in because I had quit drinking for six months for somebody else and not for myself. So actually all these and back then I looked at it as all these positive things were happening but it actually wasn't my choice. I did it for somebody else. And so when it was over, I was like, I was so confused on who I was. Like, how do I go back to drinking normally? And, you know, it was a positive, but I don't think I was really ready to quit because I did it for somebody else. And truly, that's when things really started to go south. I remember reading your book and congratulations on your book, by the way. I haven't said that yet. I was thinking it earlier. <laughs> I said it out loud. I remember in the book, you, you went to Steve and you're like, I have a problem. And he's like, this is, this is a good turning point. Like, this is great that you're acknowledging this. At what point were you able to acknowledge that I did it for a little bit? I got to where I was and then it kind of went back and you're like, okay, now it's time to do this for me. Yeah. I relate. Um, well, now that I'm eight years sober, drinking and like food binging are very similar, at least for me. So for me, it's like every time I thought about quitting, it actually made me drink because I would think like, how am I going to live my life without alcohol? Like, and there's always something, right? There's always a birthday party. There's always a family thing there. And so I would think the thought of me never drinking again actually made me want to drink. It's a lot like the thought of a new diet makes you want to binge like, oh, I'm going to get this all in before I start this cleanse, right? Or after. Um, it's very similar in that sense. And so I would always be like, oh, after this weekend, I'm going to quit. Or after this party, I'm going to quit. Yeah. On and Monday. On Monday, it's the same exact thing. And I was just living such a toxic cycle that, one, I was a complete hypocrite. I'm in the health industry and in the fitness industry and telling people like, you know, do this to feel good. And here I am like blacked out drunk. And then you know, trying to undo all of that as much as I could only to do it again. And so the first time I said to Steven, I, I truly said, we went on a run and I said, I'm an alcoholic. And just saying that actually changed my life because we think when we say it, there's going to be all this shame and guilt. But for me, especially with Steven and not everybody has this experience, but he literally was like, 
finally, now we get to move on. Like he was waiting for me. Like I had to be the one to acknowledge it. And we got to get to that point that that's really the base of all of this. Like we can't change for other people because it won't last. And so when we're sick and tired of being sick and tired is when it happens. I was just so sick of my own stuff. Like I believe bad, bad things happen to good people. Yes. But also bad things happen because we make bad choices. And I made a lot of bad choices in my life. And then I always blamed it on other people. I always had excuses. I always had ways of getting out of it. And I was just sick of lying and, you know, trying, trying to be this person. And I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being real. And so it was for me, my wake up call when I heard a quote that said, in order to be a leader, you must be the example. And I wasn't being the example and I was ready to start being that. Yeah. And you wrote it in your notebook. Do you still have that piece of paper? I do. Yeah. Did you frame it or do you just have it somewhere? No, but I should. I should. Yes. Yes. That quote literally changed my life. Yeah. I love that you included a photo of it in your book because I think it made it real for everybody. Just see like that real time decision of you sitting there and making that choice for yourself and how powerful that was for you and how it really did change your life. I think it's amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I think a huge thing is we can always find a way to look at other people and justify our bad behavior because there's always going to be somebody worse than we are, right? I hear so many people be like, well, I don't drink every day, but you can also hear in their voice, they're like, but this is a problem. And I just really believe that anything that doesn't make you your best self is a problem. That's true. And that goes for, that goes across the board, you know, drinking. Yes. But like, at least I'm not out there beating my wife or, you know what I mean? It's like, well, okay, fine. You're not, but like, are you being the best version of yourself? And the same goes for, you know, the the opposite sex, but it's, yeah. Yeah. It's with any addiction, right. And getting to the root of the cause of that addiction, right? If, if drinking or overeating or overexercising or over shopping is a symptom of something, it's getting to why are we doing that? What are, what are we trying to numb out from? And thinking about leaving, you know, giving that, that, that thing up, that thing that we've held onto for so long to make us feel better, right? It makes us feel better until it doesn't, it exacerbates all of the negative, you know, that forever sounds scary. And I know Jenny, you acknowledge this in your book, you said it doesn't have to be forever, but you can forever be the example too. You can always strive to be that example. And that's where the work comes in. And that's a lot about what you talk about in your book is doing the work and having all those small steps, because a lot of what we do, the things that don't serve us are because we're unhappy, right? There's that pain within us that we're trying to, to soothe in an unhealthy way. 100%. I think all of us have some sort of childhood trauma. Again, some people is, you know, it's way worse. It's way better. It's, but to some extent, like my kids are probably going to have some childhood trauma. I don't know what that is, but you know, like we all, we all have this and it's, you know, the premise of my whole book is going to the root of the issue. And we all do. I mean, I still do things to numb out. Like I Netflix binge. I still, you know, I still binge on food and I'm able now to come out of it quicker and faster and with a better mindset, but it still happens for me. You know, alcohol is a hard stop. It's like, I, I know that that's not, I can no longer go there. And so the reason that we do this is because we don't want to face these things and go back and do the work and forgive these people 
for hurting us. And the problem with when you take away the alcohol, especially alcohol, you actually have to, you got to do the work and you got to feel. And that is the hardest freaking part. It's hard and it's, and it hurts and you're angry and you're sad. But when you can sit with that and do the work and actually feel the emotions, you realize how much better your life can get. Yeah. And the same, you know, not to divert, but the same is like, my God, the conversation on our bodies, like it's the same thing. We drink because we don't like our bodies. We drink because we don't like our life. We drink because we're in pain and we don't want to talk about our families and all this stuff. Like if you can get to the root of this and think about like, oh my God, I did learn as a child that my worth is in my body. Oh, whoa, I need to actually change that conversation. Oh my gosh, this mommy culture of being a parent and drinking wine every night is super toxic. Like it is not, I could not imagine being hungover with kids and I'm not judging just for me. I couldn't towards the end handle being hungover without kids but like we're not talking about the diet culture drinking culture this is all super toxic messaging that we're all just following along like oh yeah i guess that's just what everybody does but when are we going to stand up and be like actually this is super toxic this is not the messaging i want to pass on to my daughters and my sons and this is a cycle that i'm going to break for myself because i'm not living my best life constantly obsessed with the way that i look and numbing myself out being drunk every night. Yeah. I say this all the time and it sounds terrible, but it's true. I know a lot of very thin, very wealthy women who are miserable. And when we come to this like, oh yeah, just because this person looks that way doesn't mean that they're happy. And this is the root of like my whole changing the conversation is to give women tools and empower women to take their lives back, to change the conversation and see that you have the ability to not only change the conversation for you, but for everybody around you. And this is truly the most important thing we need to be doing. Like we want a seat at the table. We got to change the conversation at the table. What are some of the first steps in starting to change that dialogue? One, it's acknowledging, but how do you even start to acknowledge when it seems so heavy, when it seems so big, what advice do you give someone? Like, I don't even know where to start when you say that. For instance, for drinking, I remember some of the best advice I got in the beginning was like, because I, I, how do I go out and like not drink at a restaurant, especially with new people and it's awkward and you feel uncomfortable. And I remember somebody telling me, okay, when the waiter comes around the first round, the first 10 minutes, just order water and say, okay, if I'm going to, maybe I'll have a drink the next round. And then every round you're like, okay, I'm going to have a water. I'm going to have a whatever, literally taking it like. 10 minutes by 10 minutes, right? Situation by situation. I think honestly, we got to break it down. Like you got to take it day by day. Sometimes you got to take it hour by hour. Sometimes you got to take it 10 minutes at a time in a situation. And what I found was in those situations in my early like sobriety, every 10 minutes, I got a little bit stronger. Every 10 minutes, I was like, oh yeah, I really actually don't want to drink. Oh yeah, I can be myself without alcohol. Oh, and then by the end of the night, I'm like, oh my God, these people are so loud and obnoxious. It's time for me to go. I had a great time for the first hour. Now I get to let them do their thing without, and I'm not judging. I'm just saying, you know, by the end I was like, oh yeah, now I get to go home and feel great. That was, I made some really good decisions. It's literally making good decisions 10 minutes at a time. We've talked about this on past episodes, but what you build trust with yourself where you didn't have that before. We're so used to like letting ourselves off the hook and letting ourselves down. Like we'll keep our commitments to other people before we'll keep our commitments to ourselves. 100%. And so, 
you make those small choices and you're like, oh shit, I got this. Like I can do this. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and acknowledging like, oh, this is a new situation. This is difficult. Okay. I just got to get myself through the next 10 minutes. Oh, body image is so, especially for women, it is so ingrained in us. It is so, so hard. Like this is my platform. This is everything. And for those of you that don't know, I mean, I'm 20 years in the fitness industry. I did everything you were supposed to do. I weighed people in. I did before and afters. I gave restrictive diets. I lived my entire life that way. Also, this constantly like all or nothing. I was either dieting or I was either binging. Food was either good or bad. Just constantly trying to lose weight, constantly trying to look better. And it was never, ever good enough. And for me, it's literally a daily reminder of it did not make me happy and it didn't work. Every diet I ever did never, ever, ever worked. Yes, I may have lost weight for a short amount of time, but I always gained the weight back. It was never sustainable. I was always on a roller coaster of like super high, high, super low lows. And it's that daily reminder of like, oh, yes, this doesn't work. And also I say this and it's hard because you can't even change for your children. You can't do it. With that being said, it is also a reminder that in order to be a leader, you must be the example. And that goes for our children. So I'm not changing for them, but they are a catalyst in this journey of I'm breaking the cycle for myself. So I break it for them. So they don't grow up with disordered eating, with these body image issues that rule their life. Like I really believe I could have done a lot more in my life if I wasn't 80% of my thoughts a day on my body and what I ate. Like, oh my gosh, could you imagine as women, if we didn't constantly think about what we look like and what we're eating, like the energy we would have to do other things, but it is such a part of our life. So how do we go from everything we read, everything we see into this, like, yes, loving my body, being comfortable, gaining weight. It's really hard to gain weight and it's uncomfortable. And it is this daily message of, okay, my old lifestyle did not work for me and did not make me happy. So how do you change that? You've got to get to the root of like, how did you first learn to hate your body? And it's having these conversations with yourself. It's journaling. It's the tool of like, oh yeah, I did start feeling this way when my dad told me that I was built like a linebacker and my shoulders are huge. And my brother said, I have thunder thighs. That actually had nothing to do with me. It was all what was ingrained in them, but I took that on. And so it's unraveling all of these root issues and stories. Yeah. You talk a lot about like self-worth and not feeling good enough. And a couple of things that I want to read, these are straight from your book and it's kind of like a hodgepodge from different chapters. But one of the things you said was I was doing, I was living a con- in a constant state of it's never good enough. And I was miserable. It was a fear of not being enough, not being perfect, not being liked, or not fitting in that in part drove my drinking in the first place. And on the day that I came to terms with my toxic anchor, I realized almost everything that I did was to make myself feel accepted by everyone else. Why? Because I didn't accept myself. And I think the thing that most of us run from is putting the micro putting ourselves under a microscope and having to face those things that we've buried so deep into our subconscious that we don't even realize are playing out in our adult lives. Doing the work is fucking hard. <laughs> Going to therapy is fucking hard. Like if you want to become a better person, 
and you, you want life to be easy like that, those things are not congruent. You're not going to have like the diamond didn't get created just out of thin air. It's under a lot of pressure, right? Like, and not to say like, I also don't want to like put the message of you have to sacrifice and you have to be, you know, that suffering is the answer. That's not what I'm saying, but like, you got to do the work. You have to be willing to face those demons, if you will. Well, a hundred percent. And the thing with the work is it's just, it's way easier to numb out, Mm -hmm. but the aftermath of the numbing is what is creating the cycle. So it's like, yeah, it's easier to numb out, but then we are filled with so much guilt and shame. And I think this is such a root cause, especially for women. It's just, we have just so much guilt and shame about who we actually really are. And when you do the work, you actually lessen that guilt and shame. Like me being sober now, I don't lie. Like I don't even tell white lies because for me, it reminds me of drinking, but I am just, even when I screw up, I own it. I'm like, you know what? You're right. That was wrong. Let me, let me, yes. Let me make that right. Like, I don't lie. I, everything I do is coming from a place of, of good. And so even when I do screw up or even when let's say, you know, I do have these nights of numbing out on Netflix and binging and I wake up in the morning and I think, what was that all about? What, what am I trying to avoid? So it's not like, fuck, like, why did I do that? I'm like, here I am falling back. Like, the work has led me to a point of, I still screw up. So does everybody like that is life. But instead of guilt and shame, now I question it. Like, Oh, what? Oh yeah. My life is chaotic and my husband's been gone and my kids are driving me crazy and I need to ask for more help and I'm not taking care of myself and I'm not getting enough sleep. Oh yeah. That's what led to that. Okay. Noted. Today's a new day. Let's move on and try to do better. And this is part of the, the tool set. Like when you start to have these tools and you start to do the work, the work is forever ongoing. Like, this is the thing too. We think we're going to come to this magical, this is the other thing. Like we're all looking for the answer, right? It's why we buy programs, which we never, ever finish. It's why we buy books, which we never, ever read the whole book. Like it's why we diet and then we don't do it because it's not sustainable and we binge. It's like, we're all looking for the answer from somebody else. And we think like, oh, once I just do this, Oh my God, once I do this diet and lose this 10 pounds, I'm going to be freaking so happy and so clear and so full of energy and my whole life is going to change. And this is going to be amazing. That no, like we're looking for the answer and everything else except for ourselves because we want to be able to like, oh, I'm done. I finally found it. You're never done. Like this is always going to be ongoing. It's always the work, but it's like how you get through your highs and lows is actually the goal. Like, can you sustain your low? How do you get through it? Like, this is actually the goal. Oh, yes, I have these tools that now I don't black out. I journal. Oh, I sit down and have open communication with my husband. Oh, I question what's going on. It's the tools that are helping us get through it. And I'm going to tell everybody, if you're looking for the answer, you have it. We're just so ingrained into listening to everybody else tell us how to eat, how to work out, how to meditate, how to journal, how to do all the things where it's, if we just step back and every once in a while, listen to ourselves, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. I'm notorious for outsourcing my opinions to other, you know, basically like what are you polling people? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Um, I've gotten better um, probably in the last 10 years, but it still happens where 
I'm like, oh yeah, I need to find out, or I don't trust my judgment on something. And so I have to outsource that to somebody else. And it's really hard to trust yourself when you never even give yourself the chance mm-hmm. and you don't stop to listen. Yeah. You have to listen. And, and after you're done, you know, you, you said no to the diet or you, you said you've had enough with alcohol, whatever the case is, it's not necessarily that it gets easier, right? It may even get feel harder for the meantime, but that hard, the heart of doing the work, the heart of exploring the things that you really want in your life, exploring who you really are, that's the heart that's worth committing to. It's different level. It could be new. It could be new territory for a lot of people. Um, but the years I can say for the years of, that I've been in therapy off and on in my life for various reasons, it's all worth it you may even find yourself in a place where you're still going to resist the thing that you may need to work on the most. Mine for a long time was drinking. And I said in a, in another episode, I said, I would have rather been a skinny alcoholic than a fat sober person for a long time. Right. Holy moly. Is that a powerful statement? Because so many women think that, and, and can you hear yourself say it right now? That sounds crazy, right? Today, it sounds crazy, but back then I would just be like, God damn, why can't I just be thin and live the sex in the city life and do all these things and be this powerhouse because I had pretty, you know, on paper, my quote unquote shit together. I had a good career. I was, you know, successful. You know, I wasn't a a total hot mess, but I really was inside. I was inside. I was a hot mess. And I knew for a long time that that was the thing that was I knew was holding me back and I resisted and resisted and resisted. And finally, I just said, what, what, what do I have to lose? Right. I have a lot to lose. I have a lot to lose if I don't make this change and it's going to be hard and it's going to suck some days. And then the end, it's going to be worth it. There's going to be so much good that comes out of it. And I'm, I want to be here for it. And I want to be that example. I want to be the example for my daughter. I want to be example for other people who say, but I got it all going on and I haven't hit rock bottom. It's like, you don't have to hit rock bottom to make a change in your life. When you know, like you said earlier, Jenny, that it's not serving me anymore. You don't have to be suffering from homelessness and abuse to say, Hey, maybe this is a problem. We can make a change now. And isn't it crazy how, and I'm going to just quote this because so many people think this way. Again, it is ingrained in us. You literally said, why can't I just be this powerhouse and equating that to being Mm -hmm. thin? Like as women, we think like, oh, they're thin. They have a nice body. Well, they're definitely successful. Oh, they're definitely doing something right. Yeah. I thought that. I thought that was like the bane. Like that's the only thing I'm missing in order to be this, this powerhouse woman. And this is still a really part of the conversation, especially as, you know, however you feel about like feminism or, or women's right. But it's like, we are, you know, we, again, we want to seat at the table. We want our voice heard yet. We're still having this conversation of, we want to be a part of this bigger conversation yet. We're still so stuck on the way that we look as being that important. And it's the only way to get in, or it's the only way to be successful, or it's the only way. Could you imagine if the stories we heard growing up were not, were, were more about like, oh yeah, your body's going to change and you get to change with it. Success is defined as you using your voice, you being as authentic as you are and you standing up for what you believe in. That's success. Not, oh yeah, you lost 10 pounds and you're super beautiful and have a huge house and 
by the way, you're drinking a bottle of vodka every night because you feel like you're in jail and you're in prison and you're so unhappy with who you are. Like this conversation of that, what we look like equals our power is, is so toxic. But again, it's not, it's not our fault. It's actually so ingrained in us that it's hard for us to unlearn this conversation. And again, it's part of the work. It's part of us like shutting down the conversations. You know, I just did a whole thing on, and, and Jen, I think this is one reason like we outsource also, especially in this day and age of social media, it's really hard to even put our opinions out there because every, like I still get fired up, right? I say something and then somebody comes with something nasty. And then like literally this woman got upset with me because I was eating Cheez-Its in my video. I mean, for real, like she went off and her stance was like, I don't care about the environment and Cheez-Its are non-GMO or GMO product. And I was like, what? Like, how did you get there from me? Like you got there from me eating Cheez-Its in a video, like, and it's, but she was fired up and I'm like, well, first of all, then I got fired up, but then I took a step back and I was like, okay, she really cares about this subject. So let's go there. And so it's just really difficult nowadays to even voice your opinion and just people like jump down your throat for anything. And I think what we really need to do is be having these conversations in a respectful way. Is it hard? A hundred percent. Like to my core, I'm like, Ugh. I struggle with like people who support Trump. Okay. I'm just going to go there because I think, I think, well, morally, I just think we're on different pages, but then I'm like, okay, so I have a new neighbor who is very conservative. And she is, oh my gosh, she's crazy about her body image. She's very conservative. We have definitely different views. And she has brought on these amazing conversations because we're actually sitting down and we're talking and I'm learning and I'm like, oh yeah, you care so much about your body because look at your mom. Look at, you grew up super religious. Everything's about the Bible. And then I see how she twists everything and I'm not judging. I'm actually learning so much about her. And then I'm also explaining my back and we're having these beautiful conversations, which are really hard to have with people. But if we can just for a second, like, listen, I saw Michelle Obama speak and she right before her book. And she said, it's hard to hate people when you know their story. And that is why I am so passionate about sharing our truth, because when you know somebody's truth, you start to understand where they're coming from. It doesn't mean you need to agree with them, but it gives you a little bit more insight of like, oh yeah, that's, that's why you're, you think that way, or that's why you, we can still disagree, but now we're having this conversation and it's actually growing both of us on all these levels. So uh, this is a total random story, but I, it, it gets, so, I love it. So we're it's good. actually this new neighbor and I were, all the moms were sitting around and she said, she goes, well, one of the little girls walked up and said, I love my friend, Chloe. Can I marry my friend, Chloe? And this mom said, well, in California, you could, granted, these kids are five, all right? She goes, well, in California, you can marry your friend, Chloe, but according to the Bible, and I was like, <gasps> and so, yeah, right? And so I'm like, oh, right, like my kids hang out in this house. So I took a deep breath and I looked at her and I said, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be those friends that show all the other moms and all the kids that we can have extremely different views and still be friends. And she looked at me and she smiled. And I said, I got to tell you, I believe in God, but I believe God is love and God loves everyone. And she goes, you know, 
I have been thinking a lot about that lately. And, and I would like to talk about that with you a little bit more. And I was like, Oh my God, we just like opened up. Right. I love that. And it wasn't like, Oh my God, I can't believe you said that. Oh my God. It's like, we're opening these doors for each other that are, that's actually making both of us grow. So it's a beautiful thing. And it's just my reminder of like, when we point the finger at people who disagree with us, whether it's with body image, whether it's with drinking, whether it's with politics, the moment you start doing like, you know, when your spouse comes home or your roommate or whoever, and you are like, you don't take out the trash. You don't take care of the kids. You never. And we start pointing the finger and blaming their wall comes up and they shut down. And that's what happens. So people are always like, how do you change the conversation? You got to be willing to have the conversation and do it in a respectful way. So I shut down body image all the time, but I'm not like, Hey, you can't say that. Hey, you shouldn't do that. It's like, Hey, you know what? Actually you saying that about that person who's not here isn't helping anybody. And actually every time we judge somebody else, we are revealing, you know, our wounds that are unhealed and like having these conversations that actually make people think, and I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to create awareness. And that is actually how we change the conversation. You got to have the conversation, but you also have to be willing to do it in a respectful way. And people online don't do that most of the time. So why are we engaging in it? That's something I will never understand is the level of negativity and hateful engagement online. It's easy to do that when you're behind a computer, though. Yeah, but I want I I personally don't want to spend my energy and time doing that. Oh, for sure. So I'm like, how, who, why? Well, I think it's also a sign of maturity though. And this is true. And this is what came up for me while Jenny was sharing that story is one, to have those kinds of conversations, you have to be open. You have to be willing. You have to put your ego aside, right? Your ego serves no one in those situations, especially when you're trying to have a conversation in order to understand Secondly, it's yes, you may think, well, I had a conversation with this one and they were just so, you know, inherently rude and they were just making all these jabs and they weren't listening to me. Okay, that that's one situation. Let's try it again. Let's try it again with those who you want to develop a relationship with, those who you want to understand. And I hope everyone would want to at least hear that other side. Because there, I'm sure there are people who are walled off that don't want to hear it. And they may not be ready to hear it, but I hope everyone at, at some point would be ready to hear it, especially for those who you care about. And a hundred percent. And we, you know, we have, this is the other part of having the conversation is also creating these boundaries. Like you're going to start to have conversations with people and you're like, oh yeah, you just aren't my people. Yeah. Like, and that's, and that's okay. Right. Like, why am I trying to convince Karen to think like, I'm not trying to convince anybody. This is what really gets me through all this is I have, again, putting the ego aside is by reminding myself, I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to create awareness. I'm just trying to get people to like, maybe think in a different way. Like, oh yeah, that, okay. Yeah. I actually see what you're saying, but like, it's like high school. Like, why are we trying to get people who we know don't like us to like us? right? Like there's just a certain amount of people that are not your people and people you don't want, but yet we try so hard to get this one person. And I'm like, women who all they want to do is talk about dieting and being thin in their body. Like this just, I'll have some conversations with you, but then there's a point where I'm like, Ooh, this is actually toxic for me. Like I, I just, this isn't, there's a point where you got to draw some boundaries and walk away. And it's even social media. Like I don't follow people that trigger me. I don't follow people that are 
super crazy about dieting or do before and afters or why are we not walking away? Why are we using our two most precious things, which are time and energy to convince people who will never convince to think the way that we do, like draw some boundaries, walk away. No, not everybody's your people and that's okay. Yeah. I love that. Cause that's something that you said about like letting go, you know, letting go of all of those things is you're like, you said that when you stopped drinking, you lost a lot of friends and you handed out a lot of pink slips when you stopped people pleasing. It is ingrained in us for people to like yes. us. It's even like, think about what we post on social media, right? You're like, shit, are people going to like, what are people going to react to this? I think when you stop and realize that letting go of those people who weren't really there for you in the first place, who are not going to accept you when you decide to change and grow. I think they say like you, when you marry somebody, you marry like the, the next 10 versions of that person and you got to be there for it. Like if for, for Lindsay, like on her sobriety journey, I'm like, I am here for it. I'm here for you. Like whatever you need, if you need me to not drink in front of you and I'm not a big drinker anyway, but like, and then just being like, okay, the people who aren't for you aren't for you. And that is okay. We don't have to like, we don't have to have everybody like us. hundred percent. And it's, but we say that and it's really hard it's because so again, hard. it is especially for women, it is ingrained that like, look the part, be the part, do the part, and people will like you and you'll be successful, right? Like that is the messaging. And so, um, you know, I, I read something, it was like, your friend group should not represent your past, it should represent your future. Like there's, a, I'm 40 years old, there's a lot of friends that I've been friends with for a long time, that we just are on totally different pages. And I'm like, like, again, like, we're, we're just going different ways. And that's okay. Right. Like we have to constantly be evolving that that is the thing and having the conversations being respectful, but also being will, willing to walk away and know that like this person just isn't serving me anymore. My husband gets uh, really uncomfortable when I talk about politics with people and he's in he's present because I'm one of those people who I love having the conversation regardless of how you feel like I don't care if you're conservative, liberal, libertarian no party, whatever it is. I just, I love learning how people think. And I think that's probably a lot how you think too. Um, And I think the reason why I do that is not again, to change their mind, but when I learn more about how they think and when they learn more about how I think, I feel like it's not the process of them changing their mind. And this goes beyond politics. This is like feminism. This is diet culture. This is anything when they learn more about how I think or how a different perspective, I think it softens all of us in our, we dig in so deep to these beliefs and this cultural crap that we've been conditioned to like, just not think about. And instead of digging in deep, deeper, I try to soften. And I don't know if that makes sense, but I have never gotten anywhere being right all the time. And it's, it's, it's like intoxicating thinking about being right all the time. It's, uh, I totally, it's funny you say that too. My, <laughs> so I very much dislike small talk. Same. So I'm like an uh, introvert extrovert, I think. Like I love people and music and energy and be, you know, but also like, I also love, like, I need my time. I need my time away from my kids. I need my time away from my husband and going to parties with people that I don't really know is actually like, I'm, I kind of dread it because I hate small talk. I hate like, Oh, what do you do? How are, Oh yeah. Like 
that to me is my worst nightmare. And so I go in really hot and my husband, who's a very like grounded, mellow, like I'm always like, you know, I want you to walk up and tell me you are an alcoholic and your spouse has cheated on you and you are depressed. And like, I'm like, yes, let's talk about it. And so I kind of ask super personal questions to people right off the bat. And it is fascinating how when, because people do want to talk about themselves, how if you keep asking, you get to open up these conversations and it's super powerful and it's way better than having small talk. But just like I said before, it's like when you know people's story, it's harder to hate them. And I love when Michelle Obama said that. And so believe me, there is still times I get so fired up, right? Like you see headlines or you're on social media and I'm like, oh, how can people think this way? How can it? But then I'm also like, oh, half these people are actually the messaging there. They're like, they're reading Facebook one-liners and like going off on it, right? So I guess the moral of this story is like, don't allow yourself to go off the hinges in places that you shouldn't be flying off the hinges, right? Like nobody ever changes anybody's mind. Like, have you ever heard of like, oh yeah, I definitely changed my political view because of what somebody posted on Facebook. And also I think when you take out the, the numbing of whatever it is, like the alcohol or anything, it's like you're just being authentically you and you do come to this place where I'm like, I'm authentically who I am. And if, if you don't like, if people don't like it, that's in my opinion, their loss. Like, you know, like I want to have real conversations. You don't want to have deep conversations. You aren't my people and that's okay. But that's just not who I want to hang out with. I was thinking about this actually when you you just posted your story last night um, and you had told the story about your conservative neighbor and you basically were like this is my political beliefs and I was like holy shit that's a brave thing to do Lindsay and I don't even talk about politics on the podcast you do that thing where you don't want somebody to feel put off and then not get the value because they're too close-minded mm-hmm. to stick around right and so I was like that is a that is that takes courage and I admire it so much. Like, I think that I would love to know more about like the thought process behind. And I know, I know there's all of the the different journaling prompts and stuff in the book, but you can get past the shame and the rejection of all of the things, all of the hard work. Like, what are your, what are the tools and your go-to things for like, because I know we're still human, we still fall back in it, but do you ever get those thoughts that's like, oh, well, what if this person doesn't like me or, oh, you know, the shame is just like washing over me. Like, what's your tool for getting past those very human thoughts by standing up and saying your truth and and being you? A hundred percent. And believe me, it is so hard. And right. You know, when I, yeah, that's why nobody does it. That's why nobody does it. (laughs) And even when I posted that last night, I was like, you know, my stance politically are, you know, I have three things I care very much about. And one is voting. And I try to come from a place of like, this is my opinion. You don't have to agree with me, but you have to vote. Like voting is a right that we cannot waste. And so I try to turn it in the sense of like, this is what I think. You don't have to agree with me, but you do have to use your voice. And, you know, I'm very big on gun control. I'm part of Moms Demand Action and fighting for stricter gun laws. Like that's that's one of my like pillars. It's one of my platform, my things that I, I speak on. And then, you know, three is, being this example for other women. And that I think where like the courage comes from, because believe me, I sit there and think, oh shit, if I post this, like, am I ready for the feedback? Right. Cause it's exhausting. And I'm like, am I ready to engage in this feedback? Yeah. I'm probably going to lose some people, but for me being authentic and speaking my truth 
is the most important thing because for so much of my life, I masked myself. I masked myself with alcohol. I masked myself with weight loss. I masked myself with men. I did everything to do it right, look right, be right. And I was miserable. I was depressed. I wasn't living my authentic life. And I think so many of us do that. And so for me to speak my truth is my number one, it is my superpower. And I'm not saying that anybody has to agree with me. And that's also part of the message. Like, why can't I speak my truth? And you just listen and we have a discussion about it. And then you get to speak your truth. You know, why, why can't we do this? And so I also believe when I show up in my authentic truth, I allow other women to show up in their authentic truth. How do you do that? Well, you got to go back again. All of this stems from the root cause. At what point in your life did you learn that your voice doesn't matter? At what point in your life did you learn that what other people think of you is more important than you sharing your truth? At what point in your life did somebody try to keep you so small that you felt you didn't have the power to stand up for what you believe in? So it's going back and doing the work because at some point, all of us were told these exact things. And so if I want to change the conversation, I got to be willing to stand up in front of the crowd and have the conversation. The Art of Getting Your Shit Together is produced and edited by LD Coaching and Blush Cactus Boutique Design Studio. We would love it if you'd head over to iTunes and subscribe, leave us five stars and write a quick review. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends so that we can continue to grow our tribe. Tag us on Instagram at tagist underscore podcast with your shares and we'll feature you on our story. Don't forget to grab our free guide, five things you can do right now to get your shit together and start living your best life over at tagus.com slash kick more ass. Remember, your life only gets better when you decide to grow and it's never too late to get your shit together.